to stand and turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 12. Uh, Isaiah chapter 12, so hopeful. We've camped out here for two weeks. Such a hopeful passage in Isaiah. And we come to chapter 12, verses 3 through 6, and I'll read that in a moment. And I want to ask you what kind of life are you choosing? What kind of life? You know, we have this slogan, choose life. And of course, that choice has to do with the unborn life, with no voice and defending that, that voice rightly because all life is made in God's image. But there's also the choosing of life for people like us every day. We make choices and choose a certain kind of life. Each generation, I talked about this last week, has a certain idea of what the good life looks like. And it is entertaining to see how these visions of the good life conflict from generation to generation. What kind of life, more importantly, does God call us to live? And we get a picture of that in Isaiah 12. And I'll read to you Isaiah 12, verses 3 through 6. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Let's pray together. O Lord, how we ask that you would guide and lead us in all truth by your Holy Spirit that we together as your people would grasp not just the meaning of this text intellectually, but that we would grasp it deep within our hearts and souls and live in light of it, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. My mom had a certain phrase, a saying. She had a mantra, in fact, and we should have probably trademarked it. But she would say this mantra. It had a lot of application in our life, and it is still something that I'm living by after she has gone to be with the Lord and this is the saying, we all make choices. We all make choices. And this was said in certain ways with certain tones that had application every day of my life. Sometimes it was, we all make choices when I needed to hear that. And sometimes it was maybe more joyful. We all make choices when I had made a good choice. And there were some good consequences to that. So it's very rele relevant to my life. It's something I remember about my mom. And I regret not asking her where it came from, but that's not the issue. The issue is our choices, what we do every day, our choices shape and form who we are today. And for my mom saying this, I mean, we can reflect on the reality even though our culture and society doesn't believe this, your life is the sum total of your choices. 
And while we want to say, oh, I'm the victim here, this happened to me, even the choice to respond to difficulties in our life, to the fact that we live in a fallen world and that we are sinners who are frequently sinned against, your response to that is part of what shapes and forms your life. And here's what I want to tell you. Choose the remnant life. The remnant life is what we are called to choose. The remnant life and the remnant has to do with this group left over, as it were, post-exile. Remember, Israel was going to be subject to God's judgment. They were going to be carted, defeated, conquered, carted off into exile. And at the remnant is mentioned as the people whom God is continually faithful to. The first mention of the remnant was back in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, the remnant is the survivors, the ones who are evidence that God keeps his promises and he is faithful to his people. And we are part of that remnant if you're trusting in Christ. So what's the life look like? How do we, how do we choose it? How do we choose this remnant Life that is lived through the gospel-empowered choices we need to make. So how do you start choosing the remnant life if you're not a Christian yet? How do you keep choosing that remnant life if you are a Christian? Well, the first thing I want to show you is we've got to draw some water. This is in verse 3. We've got to draw water. Now, we need to bridge the distance between this ancient moment and our current moment. Drawing water is something we probably never have done uh, before in our life. But drawing water is something very common in the rest of the world. You begin the day with going, taking your jugs, and going to the water source and getting the water for the day. If you've ever traveled to Africa or parts of Central South America, you've seen this. Drawing water every day, this task. Children carrying these heavy jugs because that is the sustenance that they need for the day, the refreshment for the day. And if you look here in verse 3, what we're told is that the remnant life has to do with this drawing water. Uh, a metaphor is made here. The drawing water is not physical water, but it's the spiritual water that comes from the wells of salvation. You see that in verse 3? And we're told with joy, the remnant will draw water from the wells of salvation. In other words, salvation, which comes from God. How do we know that? Look at verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. So salvation is a resource for refreshment, renewal, strength, sustenance, for doing life. And so in this metaphor, our salvation is the resource we draw on to gain strength for the day, to deal with life's difficulties and trials. And we're told here that we will draw water, we will find refreshment. Renewal, strength, joy, hope from the well of salvation. 
So salvation is a resource. Now, here's the thing. Many of us think of salvation, and this is sort of key reform doctrine here. Many of us think of salvation as the beginning point of the Christian life, which we would call conversion. In conversion, you have faith and you have repentance. And God gives us faith as a gift, and then repentance is turning away from our sins. So we think of salvation, that is the genesis, the beginning of our Christian journey with Christ. Yes, that is true. But here in this passage, there's another idea with salvation, and it has to do with not the beginning of the Christian life, but the continued walk with Jesus. Here's what I'm getting at. The gospel is how you come in, and the gospel takes you all the way home. Because in the gospel, wrapped up in the gospel, are these key truths that we return to, not just at the beginning of our Christian life, but every day. So to draw waters from the, well, from the wells of salvation... To do that means we go to that source, salvation, and we think on and we meditate on and we rehearse for ourselves, even in the disappointments of life and the hardships that we experience, we think about, preoccupy our mind, meditate on the reality of what it is to be a loved sinner, to be forgiven, to be part of God's forever family, to be adopted into the forever family, to be united to Christ. You see, salvation is not just escaping hell. It's so much more. That's the beginning. But it's so much more to understand our relationship with God as defined by the gospel is a resource for us every day. Unfortunately, I thought that I used to think Christianity was about God's grace, was about beginning the Christian life. You begin with God's grace, and then the rest, that's up to us. That's, you got to work hard. You got to work at it. And yes, the Christian life requires effort. But if we believe that way, that we come in through the gospel, but then the rest is up to us, we are forgetting to draw water at the wells of salvation. This is why you have a lot of Christians today confused and mixed up. Because they think they begin by God's grace, but then the rest is up to them. Or they are not thinking about rehearsing these great truths of the gospel. Of how loved and precious we are in the sight of God. As how, how his wrath has been turned away from us. How our relationship with him is yes and amen in Christ. And this gives us great joy. Gives us great joy as we go to these wells and draw this water and envision this future day of return and rest and restoration. And drawing waters from these wells of salvation, it, this is what gives us joy in a fallen world and assists us in the navigation of this confusing, weird, all-you-can-eat, crazy buffet that's called 2023. And so we've got to draw water from the wells of salvation. 
So here's the question for you. If we're going to live this remnant life, if we're going to live life God's way, if we understand that living life God's way is better than the American dream, it is better than the hill country dream, it is better than whatever our idea of the good life is, we're going to need to be at this well of salvation. And the question is, well, which well are you at? Which well are you at? Jeremiah, another prophet, would later talk about in chapter 2 of Jeremiah, verse 13. He begins Jeremiah by saying, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so the idea here is, if you're not going to be at the well of, wells of salvation, if you're not going to look to God for all the resources you need to live a joyful, gospel-centered life, you're at the wrong well. And we find ourselves at the wrong well wherever we look for life, refreshment from another well. And Jeremiah says, there are these other wells, these other cisterns and a cistern think about you know they didn't have these big concrete tanks back in the day that we have and instead they would dig out a container in the ground to hold water to hold wine and they would dip out of this to get refreshment but sometimes they would develop like around here you got the limestone cracks and shifts in the in the ground and everything would leak out. And what we're told here is that if we look for life and draw water from another well, then we're not going to have joy. These broken cisterns that we look for, satisfaction and refreshment. Think through your life. Where are you looking for life elsewhere? What is it you look to for satisfaction, for relief, for refreshment? This could be a broken cistern. And so it requires repentance and confession, coming back to God and saying, let me draw water from the wells of salvation. So drawing water, that's the first thing we see there in verse 3. If we're going to live life God's way, this remnant life, we've got to be at the wells of salvation, drawing water, rehearsing the wonderful truths of the gospel every day in our life. And then we need to make known. This is in verse 4, making known. And notice this, verse 4 begins, you will say in that day. And I've already trained you, in that day. It's a phrase over 40 times in Isaiah. And it is a glorious phrase because he really envisions three different futures. There's the future for God's people then, the future for God's people when Christ would come in his first advent, and then there's the future for us. Too. So in that day, bound up are those three, the convergence of those three different futures. And so Isaiah envisions a future day. In that day, the exiles are going to come back and they're going to do what? They're going to give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. So he envisions a future day after this terrible exile of them giving thanks to the Lord calling upon his name. So you want to live the remnant life? Give thanks. I talked about giving thanks 
from chapter 12, verse 1 last week, so you can get online and you can hear that sermon. But giving thanks to the Lord marks out God's people, calling upon his name, and then making known his deeds among the peoples, proclaiming that his name is exalted. Part of living this remnant life is to make known his deeds among the peoples. Now, wherever you see peoples in Isaiah, this is Gentiles. This is the extension, the far outreach of the gospel. And making known God's deeds among the peoples is to proclaim that his name is exalted because of what he has done. And what has God done primarily? Well, we can divide those the things he has done into two categories his his providence so this is how he organizes everything in our life to lead towards his glory and then his provision for us both materially and physically we can give god thanks for that part of his provision for us is of course the supreme example of this is christ sending a savior for us uh, as a provision for us to have a right relationship with God. So part of what we're called to do here is make known his deeds. And I've, of course, encouraged you, and Isaiah uses repetition, and so I'm going to use repetition here too. Usually we've talked about how the national pastime is to get together with people you love and rehearse everything that's wrong in the world. That's, that's not what you see here. Instead, you see, when you get together with your loved ones, you rehearse. You make known his deeds. You talk about, here's what God's doing in my life. Here's what God has done. Did you hear about what God did? And you talk about that instead of trying to solve the world's problems, which you're not doing, that. You're not doing well with that yet. And neither am I. So let's make known his deeds. Let's talk about it. Proclaim that his name is exalted. And here's really where you have the end purpose of the Christian life. Proclaim that his name is exalted. God must be glorified. God is that great that we want to, everything in our life, everything we say, everything we do to give glory to him. He deserves that kind of glory because he is that great we want his name to be exalted not our name but his name because of all that he has done and so we make known his deeds and we proclaim his name is exalted so the remnant life is about making known his deeds and proclaiming that his name is exalted worship is certainly part of this but i'm going to save that for the next couple of verses but I want to go back to this idea about call upon his name. I want to go back to that, call upon his name. And certainly one of the ways we call upon his name is prayer. Prayer is uh, asking for good things from God in Jesus' name according to his way and will that God would be ultimately glorified. That's what prayer is. And you notice whenever there is a, a violent event in our society you notice people used to say well our thoughts and prayers are with people but with the people who are affected by this but now you have have you noticed this you have this pushback 
we don't want your thoughts and prayers. We don't want your prayers. And I think the devil delights in this because clearly prayer is a pathway for change which has more viability than the pathway to change from our politicians or from those in power. Can I get an amen to that? And so to undermine this calling upon his name is, I think, a very dark strategy of the devil to cast, uh, to cast prayer in this light that it's not effective or it's not going to change anyone. And certainly prayer is the most effective thing we can do that would impact another person's heart. So true calling on his name that God would do things that would give him glory is absolutely effective. Don't let anyone tell you differently. And let's not lose that trust and hope we have that change, spiritual change can happen in, in prayer. And I want to help you with your calling upon uh, God. And in James calling on his name in prayer. In James chapter 4, we really are, have a good explanation in James chapter 4 verses 2 and 3 why prayers aren't answered and how we can call upon God. And in James chapter 4, just to encourage you in your praying, uh, James writes, You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covenant, covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And so frequently, uh, sometimes we just quote that last phrase. We kind of pop it out of, you know, you don't have because you don't ask. Well, the context is this disordered desires and murdering and coveting. But we get the explanation here in the next verse in verse 3. You ask and do not receive. Okay, why, why do I not receive? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You see, when we ask wrongly in prayer, God does something intensely gracious and loving. He doesn't answer. He doesn't answer. Because we are not praying according to his glory and the exaltation of his name which is his great and grand purpose, back to Isaiah 12, verse 4. And so when you pray, typically, what do we pray for? We've talked about this before. The three top prayers of the Christian, health, comfort, blessing. Those three things. Health, comfort, blessing, and within the blessing, protection. Protection and safety. Protection and safety. Uh, so health... Comfort, blessing, including protection and safety. Most common things that we pray for. What are we leaving out? God's glory. Praying for, his God, for God's glory. Now, I'm going to use myself as an example here so everybody's comfortable with that. And I'm in good health right now. But let's say, for a moment, I get sick unto death. So... I get something bad, and I'm declining. Okay, I know, sad thought. Thank you. Thank you. But here, here's the deal. I hope you would pray that I would be healed. 
I would like you to. I'm just telling you in advance. You know, pray I would be healed. Yes. But here's the thing. Can you, can you go a step deeper and higher to God's glory? And can you pray, would you heal Pastor Allen? Can, can you pray? That, I mean, this is real. And if it isn't your will to heal him, would you be glorified in the way that he suffers? Would your name be proclaimed? Would you be glorified as he struggles? And would he, you know, if it gets to that point, would he die well for your glory? Can we pray that way? Does it always have to be? Uh, God, I'm praying for the happy ending. Amen. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Amen. We've forgotten the exaltation of God's glory. You know, perhaps the Lord would withhold healing from me for his glory. I don't know why, but I know this. It'll all make sense in the next life when we see him face to face and we see his greatness and don't get to that point in eternity with any kind of regret that says, oh, my prayers shot too low. I was just focused on comfort, health, and blessing. So, draw water. Make known. That's how we're going to live this remnant life. And the last part, verses 5 and 6. Sing praises. Sing praises. Look at this in verse 5. Sing praises to the Lord. Why would we do that? Why do we come to worship? For he has done gloriously. When we come to worship, it is a reflection that God has done things well. And he is at work in this world. So sing praises to the Lord. Why do we sing? He has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. The earth is the largest venue, so to speak, that we can have to declare that God has done things well. And it leads us to this exuberant praise. Look at verse 6. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. And you are those inhabitants through Christ. You're part of this modern remnant that draws from the ages of God's faithful people. If you're in Christ, you belong to that. Shout and sing for joy. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And that's one of Isaiah's favorite titles for God. Holy One of Israel. Marking God out as this exceptional God. Different than everyone and everything else. He is great. And so what do we do? The reason we sing, he has done gloriously. The reason we worship, he is great. And he is not removed from his people. Look at this at the end of verse 6. Great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. As God's people gather together for corporate worship, he is with us. Wherever two or three are gathered together, he is with us to the praise of his glory. Here's how I want to encourage you. Participate. Participate in worship. And do so zealously. 
with passion. Worship. If you're here, worship. And as we worship together as a community, you can imagine the hurting and the struggling in the church. Those who are doubting in our community are drawn along in this wonderful, exuberant praise of God. You know, worship is great for your soul. And so choosing the remnant life has everything to do with choosing worship. And I want to thank members of our worship team for leading us and assisting us. You know, they are not up here performing. This is not a performance. This is a, we're going to worship and you come follow us. And we bring each other and inspire each other as we uh, worship together. So thank you to our worship team for being faithful uh, to do that. And thank you to our sound booth, too, uh, for helping us with that. You know, everybody worships Sunday morning. Some people worship in church. Think about that for a moment. Everybody worships Sunday morning. And some worship in church. And the wonder of worship as we shout and sing for joy we together are drawn into this remnant life that is joyful and worship is life-giving and sustaining and encouraging. And so the remnant life, it's about making these gospel-empowered choices that we have. We all make choices. And the choices for us this morning is to choose that remnant life to draw water, to make known his name, and to sing his praises. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you have shown us here in your word the kind of life you want us to live. And we pray where we don't stack up, help us with that. That we together might repent and be led to draw water from this refreshing well. And would we draw that water and would we make known the greatness of your name and your glory? And would we worship well and zealously as a community as we extol the goodness and glory of all you have done and are doing? We thank you that you are in our midst through Jesus Christ and the work of your spirit. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.